This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 30th of July 2019. It's uh, hotter than hell here, we're sweltering, and I'm assuming on your end it's the same, Dave. It is quite warm, I must admit, <laughs> although it's not quite as warm as it has been. Um, and uh, just being back off holiday, I'm sort of slightly more acclimatized to warm temperatures, maybe, but yes, it's still hot, and it's definitely hot to be working. I agree it's less hot than yesterday, but that's mainly because i got a brand new air conditioning unit behind me now. <laughs> Which, sorry <laughs> listeners, if you hear some whooshing behind the... That's just the air conditioning making this place livable. <laughs> of course it is, of course it is, yes. Whooshing noises, always blame it on the air conditioning. What the hell could it be? I couldn't possibly oh, you peaked my interest now, man. You have, you have to, go, you have to follow a, up on this. This is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> family show. The family of big data. Okay, fair enough. Yes. Oh, big tech, Indeed. Sorry. Very strange family, but there we go. Yes, it's a it's a warm, warm day. So excuse any sort of wind noise that you hear from um, open windows and all sorts of other things like that. Um, we're just trying to uh, keep ourselves from melting into a small puddle of sweat or uh, a large puddle of sweat. Uh, exactly, <laughs> a dehydrated puddle of sweat. That's how you make Indeed. it small. Indeed. But uh, we are here, we are back, and uh, as I did mention, there's been on a bit of holiday, um, so due to the magic of uh, podcasts, you uh, weren't aware of that, but we've still been thinking about all things uh, Roaring Elephant, and therefore we would like you to be thinking about all things Roaring Elephant too. And with that uh, comes the traditional, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. <laughs> we're, uh, we're slowly creeping up towards that, that magical 100 subscribers mark. Um, come on, there's thousands, over tens of thousands of you out there listening. Mm-hmm. We just need a handful of you to go and uh, hit that subscribe button. Search for Roaring Elephant on YouTube. You'll find the channel and uh, hit subscribe on it. Let's, let's get us up to that 100 subscriber number. And uh, if you wish to look at supporting us in other ways, then obviously we have a Patreon site as well and a merch store that actually has been around for Ooh, oh, years. Two years? <laughs> yeah, at least. Um, and we do occasionally get people buying stuff from it. And if there is something that you would like to see there, let us know. So, yeah, all of the all of the things. Patreon, YouTube, merch store, it's all there. Let us know what you're interested in. Um, feedback is always welcome. You done? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you always have a draw lots who's going to do the self-promoting stuff. And this time I won. <laughs> <laughs> But moving on from our self-promotion, unless there's anything else from you? Uh, no, I don't self-promote myself. I uh, No, no. <laughs> okay. In that case, um, we're here today to talk about an article I found a little while ago um, that sort of piqued my interest. Um, it's called uh, The Data Science Mindset, Six Principles to Build Healthy Data-Driven Organizations. Um it's, a, it's an interesting mixture of an article, and obviously after after listening to this, then links will be in the show notes, and you'll be able to go and dive into it in a little bit more depth. But the way that we're going to kind of look at this is really at a very, more of a high level than some of this article goes into. Essentially, it's talking about six major steps um, in, a, in a data science organizational framework they call it the healthy data science organization framework which i think is um <laughs> super it's green. a little bit saccharine yeah it's a little <laughs> bit saccharine sweet but uh, but okay um and we're just going to go and kind of review each of these uh, six steps uh, one at a time and yeah basically see if between you and myself we agree or disagree or think they're missing something or something else so uh, <laughs> That's actually going to be putting a whole episode on this. Let's do some attribution here. The article was written by Francesca Lazzeri, who is a mm-hmm. senior machine learning scientist at Microsoft. It's on the InfoQ website. Links in the show notes, as they've already said. Indeed. So, let's now, dive into it then. Well, before Principle we dive into it, one. before we dive into okay. that, um, I want to talk about the title. Six Principles to Build a Healthy Data-Driven Organization. 
Is it that easy? I just follow six rules and I got a healthy data-driven organization? Apparently so. Or is it? <laughs> I don't know. Until we get to the end of the six steps, we won't know. Okay, so let's get back to that at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Deflection All there. right. Okay. So, principle one, understand the business and decision-making process. Um, so this talks a little bit around... Um, the, the normal problems that you expect to see. Um, lack of data isn't usually a problem. Um, usually organizations have too much data. They don't know which data makes sense, which data is meaningful. And um, in many organizations, there's a sort of a lack of clear understanding of this of the business's decision-making process, uh, let alone how to influence that through you know, the application of data. Um, I think this makes sense as a first step. I mean, understanding the business and you know what you're doing and how decisions get made would seem to be a fairly critical first step. What are your thoughts here? Well, it's something you'd expect all companies to already be doing and having the knowledge of, but mm -hmm. I must agree that in my past professional life, whenever I see an enterprise really making the big step towards let, let's become data-driven, which is basically what this thing all, all together kind of goes for, of course, yeah. they, it, it's, for a lot of organizations, it's been around for a long time, it's like a, a, a moment in time where they take, take, take I don't know, uh, take a look take at a what they have, take stock of what they have and see what's wrong because any organization, anything, not just organization and people organization, but anything you make, any process, if it's around long enough, will gather craft. That's just, that's the opposite of entropy. People say the universe will go away to entropy. The way I see it, there's more craft being added all the time to everything. So... <laughs> I don't know how that works. <laughs> the, universe, the, the universe will go away through through being buried in cruft. <laughs> but Very uh, the thing I'm going to try to say here is that uh, I do see that when, pe when businesses try this in earnest, taking a look at what they're doing, and that's uh, not only on the security level, because security is one of the big ones there, because quite often the data mm -hmm. centers have been deemed secure without actually knowing what they're doing. I mean, you then go to data-driven, go to more cloud uh, environments, things like that. That gets uh, under the mic put under the microscope for real good in, uh, scrutiny. Doing the same thing for the rest of the business really does make sense too, because when you're doing this, you will be putting a lot of different... Uh, let's use the silo uh, thing. You will be breaking silos and putting a bigger organization around everything. People need to start working together who haven't worked together before. There will be some mm -hmm. overlap. There will be some gaps. So, yeah, making a, taking a look at your business and your decision-making process especially so you can actually say you're responsible for this and you're responsible for that. Yeah, makes kind of sense. Yeah. No, I mean, do you, think, do you think there are organizations that, that skip this process and go straight to the tech? Because yeah. I'm pretty sure that I've seen that. <laughs> I mean, that's the definition of guerrilla IT, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's the... That seems to be. I don't know if it's the, the the number one issue that organizations face, but it definitely seems to be up there that people see a you know they hear of a technology, they immediately see somewhere that they could apply that technology, and they just go ahead and do it. And you know, agility is good, and being able to mm -hmm. you know be you know have that kind of approach can be very useful but it needs to fit as you know when you're talking about large enterprise and you're talking about doing this in production and so on and so forth it needs to fit into an overall strategy otherwise you're just kind of throwing jelly at the wall and see what sticks which is not really a solution for success i don't think yeah but i think it's a road road map no, not roadmap but a journey points because mm -hmm. uh, under this principle one there's the uh, get c-level executive support which definitely yep. if you're going to go for a big data thing if you don't have c-level support <laughs> you forget it you're not going to be successful but in order to get c-level support you'll be able you'll have to have something to show that c-level person yeah. which is not a technical thing white paper display showing a lot of algorithms and mathematics and stuff Good you need to have a um, semi-production-ready use case, smallish perhaps, but that kind of demonstrates, hey, we got this cool stuff, a bit of tech, which doesn't mean anything to you, Mr. CEO, but look what I could do with it. 
Yeah, that's you how need some sort of some bottom-up thing uh, happening first. Yeah, uh, but then some sort of proof right. of proof of value, something yeah. like something on those kind of lines to show that this isn't just based on um, hopes and dreams and unicorn mm-hmm. um, blood, but it's actually based on some sort of. Um, you know, concrete concepts that can be implemented within that business. Yeah, or maybe just being able to show that your competitors are doing something similar may not be a good yeah. thing, but showing hey, if we don't do something in this vein, we'll be running, we'll be getting behind uh, and losing our competitive edge and stuff like that. So, so yeah, you still see a lot of organizations doing this. Uh, oh, cool piece of tech, let's build something. Don't go in production with that. Before you go real production, make sure you have the C-level backing, I'd say. But yeah. I don't think it's wrong that these smaller uh, innovation teams, I make a new word here, um, let them do this stuff so they can actually get some experience with the whole thing. Because uh, don't forget, big data is hard. Uh, no matter mm-hmm. how much the sales guys will tell you, uh, sign here and it will make, make it easy for you, it's still hard in, in a lot of different or, um, uh, dimensions. Getting some experience with it so you actually know what you're talking about really helps before you go to that CEO and uh, put your job on the line, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, makes sense. Makes sense. Anything else on the first principle? Um, not specifically on the first principle, but one question that just popped up in my mind here when I was talking about the journey uh, of your data projects. Do you think that these principles are chronologically ordered or just these are six things you have to keep in mind? So my understanding, based on the image at the, towards the top of the article, is that they are chronologically ordered. It is a this step, then this step, then this yeah. step, then this step. The other thing that I think is slightly curious is the fact that you get to set step six and the end. it suggests that that's the end, which <laughs> I don't think can exactly. be right. So I, I, don't, I don't know that I... I think this is step by step, and I... We can explore the, some of the reasons yeah. why I think that towards the end of the article. But, um, yeah, I think it is intended to be step-by-step. Step, but I don't believe that you get to step six and then you're done sort of thing. Yeah, but I also think, as you say, that it's not because you're in step two that you can forget about step one. There's going to be yeah. some overlap yeah. and some uh, loop backing and things like that. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, sorry, just wanted to clear my no, content on that one. good question. <laughs> Good question. So principle two, or step two, depending on your point of view, um, establish performance metrics. This is another one that I think a lot of people just forget until they're halfway into a project, which is, um, you know, I mean, it's a variety of different things from deciding what you want to measure, how you want to measure it. And the, the thing that I think most often gets forgotten until partway through a project is actual defining the success metrics or success criteria. Um, it, it, it's still, you know, again, I think there's a lot of um, people jumping first and, um, and kind, of, kind of backtracking over this later and retroactively putting performance metrics and and um, and success criteria in place afterwards or at least partway through a project when they think they know where it's going which you know it's it's a way to do it but I think the the approach here is is you know work out what it is you're actually trying to achieve which again sounds relatively simple but you know still organizations that I've seen and worked with before have got this wrong yeah and I Actually, I think that's because they didn't follow principle one and didn't get the C-level backing. Because mm-hmm. people start with a hobby project, and if you don't make your project smart, you know, the old acronym, scale, measurable, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, which is basically what this thing says, right? Design your measures, success factor, criteria, stuff like that. And yeah. if you don't have to go to the CEO to kind of uh, defend your project and make sure it has a good home at the, at the company, you never get to the step. You never, you kind of skip over it because this is boring, right? I want to, I want to program, I want to code, <laughs> I want to make stuff, I want to create, which is good. Yeah. And yeah. But not doing this, as you said, uh, you run the risk that your data project will never go out of the hobby stage. It'll, it'll stay a science project. Yeah. yeah. And also, I, I think the problem with, um, with skipping this step is that if you, 
if you don't know where it is you're trying to head with a project, you can meander in all sorts of kind of weird and wonderful directions, you know, thinking that you're making good progress, but actually, yep. you know, not moving towards an actual defined you know, goal that actually means something to an organization. Never finishing it's very, anything. very easy. Yeah, it's very easy for people to get caught up in the tech and, you know, doing cool stuff and fixing things and getting other things working and that sort of thing without actually um, stepping back and seeing that bigger picture of, okay, what am I actually trying to achieve here? What is what is What are the goals here? What are the success criteria? You know, how where, close am I to each of these? Where does the value um, actually come up? With each step that I make forwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it's another step that, you know, it's another uh, principle that makes a lot of sense to me and I think is a, is underappreciated in many cases. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's hard and it's definitely an open source environment where every week or every month or mostly every week version 1.next is out of their little thing you're working on which makes it just a little bit easier or faster or more and you just keep on building stuff. Never get yeah. to the point where it actually... Yeah, as you always say, if you do a big data thing, it's either have to save you money or make you money. Yeah, preferably both. You need the success metrics to actually be able to see if that's the case. And if you don't get that, yeah. you'll never get a CEO uh, or a financial guy uh, signing off on your expenses. Yeah, quite right too. I think there's there's something you had a comment around the success metrics specifically that you quite liked in this article. Uh, yeah, it's kind of not really very much tied to what we're talking about, but she does have a, in under that uh, principle two subheading three defined success met success metrics. She talks about uh, the five different questions you need to ask, which is uh, how much or how many, which category, which group is this weird, which option should you be, should be taken. It's a bit of a strange thing to have it in there, but the thing I like is. It's a first, well, maybe not the first time, but it's a nice um, listing of questions coupled to machine learning techniques. How much or how many? Mm. That's a regression. Which category? It's a classification. Yeah. Which group? It's a clustering. Is it weird? Anomaly detection. Which option should be yeah. taken? Recommendation. So uh, it, it kind of struck me when I read through the article. That was a very nice making these things like regression and clustering understandable by just means something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is something I can yeah, use yeah. in my in my business. So yeah, yeah, that was a yeah nice, nice little gem. Indeed, indeed. So this is the, the next principle. Principle three is one that I think I have a bit of a problem with, but I'm not quite sure. I mean, I'm very interested in your thoughts here. But principle three of this article is architect the end to end solution. Um, and, uh, you know, there are a few questions that this sort of um, uh, asks itself as well. So, do you really need this volume of data? Um, how do you ensure its integrity and reliability? Um, how do you store, treat, and manipulate data to answer the questions? And most importantly, uh, as they say, how do you integrate this uh, solution into the business and operations in order to make sure that the, the business can consume it? Um, as a service over time, um, I, I suppose the some of it might depend on how how much sort of depth you'd expect to see from you know coming out of this step. Because I agree, you need some sort of you know high level you know high level architecture, I mean, high level design. You need to have some concepts there that you think you know will probably deliver what you expect to see but i'm not sure that you know um i'm not sure that at this early relatively early stage to my mind that you will really have a fully baked kind of detailed design at this point because i think there's usually there's a few fits and starts there's a few unknowns there's a few i don't know what fits in this box there's a few We've got you know three different options for this box, and we're not quite sure what it could look like. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think this this might be kind of overstating too much. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you think I'm overreading into it? Uh, well, I would never say anything bad about you. You know that. Uh, but you're of wrong, course. of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, if I read the reading on on the article, this is for her the step where you actually start looking at what kind of technology I'm going to be using. 
what mm. kind of tool I'm going to be using, which kind of partner I'm going to be employing. And uh, in that light, the questions do make sense. For example, the first one, do I really need this volume of data? Uh, let's say your hobby project was starting with, uh, we got five petabytes of data, let's do fun stuff with it. Okay, now mm. we need to visualize it. If you're going to go to Tableau Click, you won't be using the five petabytes of data. So do I need the five petabytes of data? In that case, I'll have to look at something else. Yep. So from that point of view, the questions kind of make sense. A volume of data will probably um, define your spend because in some solutions, the more data you ingest, the more dif- expensive it is, uh, Splunk. If you, uh, other solutions, the more you index, the more you spend. So that's a thing. And some pro- some some products simply can't handle large subsets, uh, sorry, large sets of data you will have to subset, in which case, well, if you're going to subset anyway, does that change how you look at it? Integrity, R- reliability. Random, random sorry, question. Yep. Random question based on what you've just said. Oh, God. I, I, first of all, I completely agree with everything you've said, which is terribly disturbing to me. But, <laughs> Score. But, but um, do you think that there is a, a solution out there that in some way, shape, or form doesn't get more expensive the more data you throw at it? Because off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. I think it's always the case that the more data you, you have in some way, shape, or form, the solution gets more expensive. Um, Depends if your solution can use compressed data or not. Silly example, I understand. I mean, I could, if I use Hive, Hive can use BZIP stuff. If I use uh, some other technology I can't really think of right now, which can't use this compressed data, there would be no difference in spend, but there would be a uh, larger data to work with. Now, I but, do agree with same, you. It's in the it's, same way that if you if you add more compressed data to that system that can handle compressed data, that's still going to get yeah. more expensive. I, I, say, I was going to say it's an edge case. It's something I just thought. Let's let's show how wrong Dave is. But no, you're right. <laughs> Typically, it gets more expensive. The question is, does it get expensive linearly or exponentially? Yeah. For yeah. big data technologies like uh, take high for instance, more data will be a linear increase in spend because you just had to add more nodes, more disks. And if you add a petabyte or two petabytes, it's going to be one times or two times your expense. Yeah, it should be pretty predictable. A lot of commercial off-the-shelf softwares, they kind of have this uh, scaled uh, expense thing where if you're a small, medium business, we can't ask you for a million. You're never going to buy it. So we have a smaller license for you. But if you are one of the big guys out there like a Shell or an ExxonMobil or whatever, one of Verizon, uh, T-Mobile, big companies out there, a lot of money. Oh, well, for this kind, you have enterprise-level SKUs, and now it becomes not linearly but exponentially higher. So, yes, you're right. More will always cost more, but not in the same, mm-hmm. in the same uh, how do you call that, manner, level? Yeah, yeah. Relative, fully, agree. Relatively. fully agree. So that was basically yeah. what I was uh, trying to look at. And also, it's, it's also where the spend comes from, because uh, in, in some uh, solutions, uh, you have to pay for all the ingest. Regard, before you even have looked at the data, you yeah. have to pay for the ingest. And other solutions, you ingest, and then when you looked at it and decide, okay, I'm going to index it this way, which means cutting off, uh, putting schema on it, cutting off parts of it, and you will pay less at that point. So, yeah, the, the, you're... Your choice of tool and your volume of data will kind of correlate and have some spend number attached to it. Yeah. And to be clear, when we say pay, we're not necessarily talking about you know, a license model or anything like that. In some cases, we're just talking about, you know, it, it, there, there is a computational cost and a, a hardware I.O. Mm-hmm. cost to doing certain steps and you know that's that's just the way that data and physics work you know yeah. you, there's no there's no cheating that so mm. it's yes there can be a a financial and, and you know license cost to these these kind of models as well but sometimes we're not actually talking about that we're just talking about the way that this thing works yeah but in the end i think it will be a dollar value attached to it because uh, quite in, oh, yeah. in practice usually this means Always. how much cross charge you will have to do uh, from your department to the uh, IT slash big data technology department, whatever, whoever is this is is, mm-hmm. is managing this thing, they they have all the cost, right? They they give the, the the invoices from Amazon or Google or whatever. 
and yep. you'll be using their infrastructure and depending on how much of a footprint you'll take in there and how much of the time you will be using that i mean if people are doing the the the, the new age with all the cloud and flexibility right then time of usage should also be a factor there that will then become your cross charge uh, invoice and that in the end becomes a uh, pay thing but it's more than mm -hmm. just yeah how much does it cost on this invoice from a supplier yeah definitely definitely um, anyway, the rest of the questions kind of go in the same way because integrity, reliability. Do you know? It, do you need HA or not? Uh, by the way, yes, yep. you do. Uh, but not not all tools have this, and some tools then become less uh, expensive because you don't have that reliability in there. Uh, how should they store, treat, manipulate data? To answer my question again is for me a question of tools. Now, in this case, less of a cost, uh, perhaps, but more of a. Uh, am I going to use machine learning, statistics, or just SQL? will have a, an impact in how you which tools you use and that will have an impact on how you architect your end-to-end -end solution and so on so yeah I, I see where you're coming from this is kind of very early stage and that's it that's again coming back to my is this a step by step by step follow these steps and then you're done i do think principle three is something you will be looping back onto when your first architect will be a relatively generic hopefully not have any kind of brand or technology on there yet but more of a this is what i want to do and then in later stages that's that's how i do my architecture with my customers in later stages then go to okay we, we know what we want to do we know how what the criteria the the the, the, the edge cases are how far we can go how much money we have it's also an important thing and then you start yeah. filling in slowly okay we need machine learning we got a lot of money, we go SA, let's go SAS. We don't have a lot of money, you want to be smart, let's go Spark and do it ourselves. That's where you yep. start di diverging there. And sorry, I don't want to make a value statement there. <laughs> 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 but uh, we do try to do some open source. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and uh, yeah, in the article then is very much uh, Azure based uh, due to where uh, the author resides, of course. Of course. Uh, I mean, I know a little bit about Azure, so all I'm going to say about it is that what she talks about isn't entirely wrong, though I would say have a good talk with your solution architects before you actually start building this. Yeah. Because there are a couple of things there I'm not going to name them, which, uh, well, I, I, we kind of reread the article before we started recording just to refresh our minds on it, and as you heard, there were a couple of uh, laughing out loud moments here. <laughs> Indeed. So, yeah, don't don't trust everything you read on the internet, I think, is oh, the, uh, the message here. You mean Elvis is dead? Uh, no, he's alive and, okay. and living on Mars. Um, that's why Elon wants to go there. So, ah, and that's why he sent the uh, roadster over there. Four. Yeah, yeah he needs a new ride. Um, principle four, <laughs> which, which this I see being fairly tightly coupled back to um, principle three. And this is one of the reasons why I was saying, you know, I, th I think this is a little bit, it's a little bit weird because principle four here is build your toolbox of data science tricks. So I think I see principle four as being the step where you go from maybe principle three is your, your generic, you know, to, to use them to, to, um, manipulate some of your words um, is is the sort of the the high level design where you don't actually necessarily have products or brands anywhere, but you you work out the functions of what you're trying to do. Maybe principle four is more about the the step where you actually you know tie it down to exact technologies that you're using in these places. Um, but I think this is also um, talking about more kind of generic concepts like. Uh, reusing knowledge gained from previous projects. Um, and many projects are similar to similar to other projects that have been done previously. You know, don't go reinventing the wheel. Someone's already done that. Um, you know, reuse that as long as it's you know, good or makes sense or at the very least kind of iterate on from that rather than just doing everything from scratch all the time, which is, again, something that I, I see disturbingly often is, you know, the... This, this concept of um, not invented here syndrome. People sort of, oh, well, I know that department or that division or that team or that part of the organization did it that way. We're going to go and do it again ourselves from scratch because we didn't like the way they did this little thing. And uh, I, I just, I think that there's a lot more value from collaboration and iteration and spending time to understand, you know, okay, why did they do it that way? Can we... 
can we use the core of what they did and can we adapt it? Maybe they would like some of the, the different ways that we would like to do it. I, I think more often than not, more organizations spend time uh, building stuff that you know either exists already or something very close exists. And the benefit that you get from doing a whole DIY approach to it on from there, I think is in most cases really quite limited. Well, I'm going to start by saying that I would never disagree with you, of course, but uh, I do think you're wrong. <laughs> uh, but on the first thing you talked about, about being uh, this being the, uh, uh, the practical choosing your products of step three. Um, I think the difference here is the end-to-end part. In step three, mm-hmm. it's going from end-to-end, which means, okay, data sources, data ingest, data storage, uh, machine learning tools, data science tools, uh, how to productionize it, the whole thing from data coming in to value being generated for end-user customers, whatever. This one, if I read at the examples that she gave here about training subsets, uh, reusing knowledge more generic, I admit, but uh, to Python notebooks in there, GitHub's in there, this is more for me specific for the data scientist. Mm-hmm. And end-to-end is larger than that. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That does that's, make sense. That's for me how it differentiates a bit. And you are right that this follows in, from step three. In step three, you will have the, the, the big lines and that little box that says data scientist does magic here. Well, that gets fleshed out in this step four. And this is also a bit where the article for me doesn't really deliver because the principle four should not just be on that little box of the scientist. It should be for the whole end-to-end thing as well. But, of course, mm-hmm. she is machine learning senior something something. So it's normal that this is her focus. Um, on the reuse of knowledge, yeah, totally agree, of course. Uh, one of the things I've seen big companies really reaping a lot of benefits from is standardizing on tools. Give the people half a day a week that can just experiment. And if they can come up with something new and display this is better than what we use today because blah, 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 blah. Okay, then this can perhaps become the new standard tool for it. But by using standard tools, you avoid the fact that I do it in Python, you do it in Java, he does it in Scala, and you write the same program three times badly. You're able to work together, you're able to accelerate. Now, this is not a pure gain, because this also means that, by definition, that standardized tool will be best for nothing. Yeah. Uh, and you'll, you'll also be in this position where you will... You, you do lose a certain element of flexibility yep. by doing that, by, by standardizing. But, you know... The, the, it's, it's one of these situations where in, in, in my eyes, the sort of, the benefits outweigh the negatives. Well, it, for me, it depends on the size of the organization or at least of the data team in the organization. If you're just three guys, hey, have at it. You'll have so much uh, annoyances when people are trying all their own stuff, you'll self-regulate. If you're in a big company with four departments, all doing big data, all not living together, all not talking to each other, your productivity goes down a lot. So for most people, for most situations where this actually plays, where big data strategies actually really become value, it makes sense to standardize. But if you're still a a big, small startup, three guys making something great, hey, have fun with that. And again, uh, also, if you're still in that hobby project stage, before you went to the CEO, ah, you don't need to standardize. This is where the innovation thing happens, where the utility is really paying off. But once you go to that CEO, you should already have an idea here where your what the standard tools will be. And again, not to exclusion of everything else, if something pops up and you should still look yeah. around and you can demonstrate, hey, this is better in most ways. It's never going to be better in all ways. Because, and then, and then have that step two thing there with the metrics and everything, your success mm-hmm. criteria, well, this, well established. You can demonstrate yeah, it's better because we'll reach that success criteria faster. Hey, we found a new standard. So it shouldn't be yeah. written in stone, but it should have some longevity in there. <laughs> yeah, trust more me, like a clay tablet. <laughs> in, in wet weather. But, but trust me, <laughs> even if you standardize, due to the acceleration of the open source technologies being updated so fast and so frequently, you'll still have a lot of issues with versioning and making sure everybody's yeah. on the same version of your standardized tools. If you then have a whole zoo of things uh, that everybody's different, using differently, uh, don't go there unless you want to have a major headache. And I also, I don't think that, uh, I don't think standardized means the same as perhaps it used to. I think st- standardized 
at least to my to my knowledge and in my experience, standardized used to mean like this this is the way that we do things and thou shalt not challenge it. Whereas to me it feels especially in this like this big tech space, standardized now feels more like this is the way that we do it today. Yeah. Um this is but it may not you know, we may completely change tomorrow. And, you know, I see more I see more projects go through, you know, successful kind of re engineering um, phases than, than ever before where people just go, do you know what? Yeah, yes, our core engine used to be X, uh, but, you know, we've discovered over a series of, you know, some testing and some exploration that actually it would be better if we moved across to Y and, you know, we, we believe there's enough benefit to to deal with this, the, the short to medium term pain to do that. And they do it and they're, you know, they're successful. They move on. The product or project evolves. And I think that's, that to me feels like something that is more of of the moment, uh, more something that is present in organisations today than it ever has been. Yeah, and it also ties very nicely to the whole DevOps and DataOps things we've been talking about mm. in the past. Yeah. Because if you're doing DevOps, DataOps right, you have a CI/CD pipeline, continuous integration, continuous deployment, which means that if you change a tool, you have to adapt the whole tool chain, build chain to make it all CI/CD compliant again, which means yep. you need some, uh, how do you call that, uh, some people behind you that are working with you to make this happen. And because you have to go through all of these steps, you can't just say at 4 p.m. on a Thursday evening, hey, I'm going to start using Zeppelin instead of Jupiter because I like the colors better. doesn't work that way because you're in that flow of, yeah, Get it in production. Get it. In, get it to the value stage as soon as possible. The whole CI/CD will slow you down a little bit, but it's a good thing at that point because it gives you time to to think and to make sure you have a good case to to convince those um, uh, ops people to redo their chef Ansible, whatever recipes they're using, uh, to make it uh, to make the new the new tool part of the tool chain. Yeah. And because of that thing, the continuous integration thing, as you say. These days, it's a lot easier to change standards. Don't think you shouldn't uh, challenge the status quo. That's how you say it, right? I believe so. I believe so. <laughs> so um, I think that... Uh, one, one small thing I want to point out here as well, yeah. uh, a little nugget I found. Uh, the first bullet there, train on a subset much smaller than the whole data you have at first. Uh, that's actually a very important thing, especially if you're starting a small, uh, uh, something new. Don't go to uh, finance and say you want a million dollars because you want to do a new thing on a, on a five petabyte cluster. Do your proof of concept, your proof of value on a smaller subset. Yeah, it's not ideal. Yes, you will perhaps have some edge cases that are totally wrong at that point, but you'll have a lot easier uh, way getting started asking for I don't know, a couple of grand than asking for the, the big millions. True, very true. Anything else on principle four from you? Um, no, I'm guessing there's a five coming. There is indeed. Principle five, unify your organization's data science vision. Okay, go ahead, because I have a problem with this one. <laughs> okay, so I was going to say that I think this one, uh, this one starts to follow on uh, somewhat better from the the previous sessions in that presumably um, you know if these are steps sort of uh, completed in series mm -hmm. then at the end of this kind of fourth principle you should have a a, a good idea of how this how, how this particular project or whatever it is works you know how this end-to-end -end solution works you filled in the boxes you've pushed data through it um, you're now able to show that these things work correctly and to me I think this step and I'm sure you're going to correct me I think this step feels more like sort of a, a consolidation of ideas look what we've successfully done here and I think this is a this feels more like a step that's done early on in an organization yeah. um, rather than something that would be done as a very heavy duty exercise on a regular basis. You would hope that you know, once an organization has a clear, consistent vision on 
how they should be using data science, then that would be a you know continuously evolving and and uh, it should be something that. Uh, but it should be something that everybody understands, and that you know, is it all, they're all moving in the right direction, despite the fact they might be exploring other technologies or, or other ways of doing things. They should all be generally moving in the in the same direction. So that was my view of this step. But it seems like you have possibly other views. Um, yeah, for me, this should be the guiding principle behind the whole thing. The thing you do first, because if you don't have a unified uh, uh, data science vision. And perhaps the data science vision is the, 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 the thing that trips me up here. Because the data vision, or however you want to be data-driven in your organization, that should be principle one. Because as long as you don't have that, yeah. you'll never get outside of the uh, hobby project, science, uh, science project, project yeah. stage. So having this as principle five... Okay, if you limit it to the data science vision, then okay. Because a lot of times you'll start your data journey without any kind of machine learning in there. Because a lot of people do data, big data, by just getting in data, ETLing data, doing something with that data. Doing machine learning in there, having need for a data scientist is optional. It's advisable. I mean, you can do a lot of fun stuff. But you, quite often, that's a, a next step. So if you say unify your data organization's data science vision, so with the exclamation points around science or data science, mm-hmm. then okay, then this could be principle five. But in that case, I am missing the unify your organization's data or, or complete data-driven vision. That should be somewhere at the beginning there, and I'm, I missed that at that point. Yeah. So that was my yeah, problem. I think that's fair. And as you said, uh, it's also something, if it's a step-by-step, that's, that was one of the reasons I asked the question at the beginning there, uh, how do you see this? Because as you say, this is not something, okay, we're step five, let's define a vision, a vision stamp on it, up next. And as you say, this will change with how your organization changes, with how the, how the environment changes, how the tools change. Uh, I mean, uh, watch out when quantum, compu- quantum computing comes out. That's next week, I think. Uh, things will change drastically, and you will definitely change your data vision at that point, I hope. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It's not coming indeed. out next week. Oh, I, was, I was just about to buy one. Damn. <laughs> oh, IBM okay. sells you one. <laughs> oh, Have a nice God. render of it. <laughs> no, no, not going there. Not going there. Oh, come on. Moving on instead to principle six. Um, keeping humans in the loop. Now, this I think. How about is, you break things? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> I think this is sort of an interesting. I mean, I don't disagree with it, but I think no. it's a bit of a weird sort of um, kind of key principle to end on, and I don't, I don't quite understand. I mean, it, it's it's useful, it's interesting, and I I think that. Uh, I, I definitely think it has value, and the it, there's a, a number of things that this uh, this particular step talks about. But I'm, I'm not really sure that this is. Um, I'm not really sure this qualifies as sort of a a, a guiding principle that um, that really needs stating necessarily, because I think it's very mm-hmm. difficult. I think it's very difficult to remove humans from the loop. I think you need. You need a lot. Um, you need to do a lot more work to try and do that. So I kind of feel that most organisations would be keeping humans in the loop by default anyway. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Don't really know how I feel about this kind of sixth and final principle. But what about you? What are your thoughts here? Well, this is the one where my is this really chronological step by step thing really hurts the most because keeping humans in the loop is not. Uh, so step one through five we did without humans and now suddenly you have to that's why for me it's still these are six principles to keep in mind (laughs) it's the first time we've mentioned humans (laughs) so (laughs) were all of the other steps done by AI exactly it's just (laughs) okay but I do think it's important uh, Mm -hmm. because um, I haven't seen this myself personally I mean I don't see everything some things I also read in books but I have been told that there are projects where the, the technology kind of starts ruling the project. And people should always remember that tools don't create value. Humans create value aided by tools. The better the tools they are, and the better people are, the better value you'll get. And quite often people, uh, big organizations, um, uh, the big project leader who might not be technically knowledgeable about everything because 
Mm -hmm. He's human too. He goes to a, a Gardner conference and Gardner says, uh, Spark will solve all your problems, blah, 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 blah. He comes back to his office. Uh, new direction, we will do everything in Spark, make it so. That's clearly where technology becomes more important than the humans, and that's not good. What he should yeah. do is go back to his people and ask his people, I've read about, heard about the Spark thing, is this something? And then let his people show him how the value is by, by keeping, literally by keeping them in the loop. That's where your value comes from. And yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, again, I haven't seen it personally or wouldn't comment on if I had, but it, it does happen, I'm sure, that some guy, somebody somewhere wants to build his reputation based on a total revamp of old processes and stuff because somebody said Project X is better than Project Y, regardless. Sure. And I think that's how I interpret this sixth principle of keeping humans in the loop. Mm -hmm. uh, apart from that, the other explanation I could have is the loop is a Möbius loop, and we just want to have people running around it in a uh, just like a rat in his little cage, but then doing the double distance because it's a Möbius loop. <laughs> well, I think the, the the piece that actually makes the most sense for me is the the very first kind of sentence at the top of this sixth principle, which is which I I, I strongly um, believe in, which is that becoming a data driven company is more about a cultural shift than the numbers. For this reason, it's important to have humans evaluate the results from any data science solution. I think that the the whole sort of issue here around you know it comes from the very first principle here actually where it's talking about getting the buy-in from the the c-level executive the reason why you need that buy-in is because people are in most cases you know resistant to change and so you need someone that is going to stand behind this project and say no this is important this is something that we need to do and this whole kind of um uh, you know bringing a, a cultural shift to an organization through becoming more data-driven, not just you know doing things because we think it's the right thing to do, but doing things because the data tells us and uh, in, in many different ways that this is the right thing to do, rather than just making some kind of gut feel decision because that's what we've already done. I think that's that, that's the, probably the piece that I like the most out of this particular principle is the recognition that you know becoming a data driven organization or improving you know how you deal with data as an organization is um, at least as much about people if not more about the people than it is the data in the first place yep totally agree although i would have imagined you thought the best thing was that you have to create a uh, victory or a vendetta team or something like that uh. <laughs> Uh, just for anybody <laughs> writing anything anywhere, uh, if you're going to use some sort of language that is that is not commonplace, um, then you know define it at least the first time you use it, and then after that it's all fine. But yeah, some sort of some V team, which I'm assuming means virtual team, no, no, it's you know, for team vendetta. comprised for of. Team comprised of people, I'm going to ignore that, that are drawn from multiple parts of the organization to, uh, you know, drawn together on a particular project um, to, to make it something a success. And that's, you know, people have virtual teams, they have tiger teams, they have, um, you know, specialist teams that are, you know, bought either virtually across a dotted line into a project or in some cases are assembled into a physical team um, from their their sort of uh, original teams. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, <laughs> they just talk about this V team here. And I, yeah. I'm assuming that it's a virtual team is what they mean. But, uh, you know, what they say about assumptions. Yeah, Umption is very happy. Uh, Indeed. But you're right. I mean, especially for an article like this, which is, I think, aimed at people who aren't versed in the in the in the in the in the, in the, yes. in the theory here, you have to avoid using acronyms at all. And if you do use them, you have to at least explain them once. Anyway, conclusions. So conclusions. I don't really. Yeah, <laughs> I, I. I don't really like any of the conclusions here uh, I mean things like our customer was able to implement successful blah 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 I mean 
Were they? Were they really? How? How? How did that happen? Mm. There's, there's, this goes from being a very high level, and in, in my view, in many ways, a very useful mm-hmm. um, article, through to, and it worked really well, um, uh, uh, which may well be true, but there's no real um, evidence for that that I see. So I, th- I think my conclusions on that are these six steps are useful. They're interesting. I think they do provide value. I would ignore the conclusion section of this article. <laughs> yeah, it feels a bit like she wanted to make more, one or more things more tangible by giving a practical use case run through but the use case is quite is generic good. Yeah, it's good but it's quite generic and as you say yeah, you can say that it worked for this customer but, but, but why you know what, and, and basically i really don't care about what worked and what didn't work yeah tell me the problems yeah. they had before they could have got it to work because nobody starts a project like this and get it off first time everything brilliant no no setbacks yep. everything okay that just yeah no doesn't happen if it does happen to you let me know I want to know who you are <laughs> yeah um, definitely so if you're going to make it practical if you're going to give examples great but then also give examples on don't do this because yep don't give it the golden yeah, I, part. I, give it also the. I always, I always think that people learn more from more from mistakes than they do from success. And hey, that's uh, I think that, for you. that should be a well, exactly. That should be a be a, a shared thing that uh, everyone should re, should recognise. Should not necessarily ce- celebrate failure, but should understand and recognise failure and, and share you know the the lessons learned from those failures and how people. Um, you know how people reacted to them and how people evolved on from that point yeah because not failing doesn't impress me failing and growing out of it getting better of it that's where yeah, uh, yeah that's where you impress me so there we go okay. there's your six principles uh, i'm sure there are more principles that you need but i think those six <laughs> are a reasonable start oh, yeah. anything you're... else from you uh, no, mostly what you said. I mean, if you're starting from in a green field, you don't really know what you're doing yet. Articles like this can give you some grounding, can give you some information, but just make sure you read more than one article or listen more listen to more than one podcast <laughs> uh, to uh, to get all of the information because no article will have it all. These aren't yep. the worst I've seen. Yeah, not sure if they're the best I've seen either. But uh, as you said, there was some useful stuff in there, and every article has some useful stuff. At least the ones that we cover. We wouldn't cover them if Indeed. we didn't have it, if we thought they hadn't any merit. I mean, I tried to get an article through from time to time where I just want to bash on it, but then Dave says, no, we're nice people. <laughs> and I say, okay. <laughs> well, I'm a nice person anyway. Yeah. And with that, that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> you can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution really does help. Uh, we're on YouTube, as I mentioned earlier. Please like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, comment, um, all of that good YouTube stuff. Let's get to that 100, uh, 100 subscribers. Also, please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page and more information about this podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter using the Hadoopcast tag and send your feedback to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. I look forward to talking to you next week. Stay cool. See you then. Bye.